Hello and welcome to the Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti, and joining me each week to give us insights and perspectives is the archivist from Book of Mormon Central, Jared Riddick. We're going to continue on our series on the book Life of Nephi, Son of Lehi by George Q. Cannon. This episode, we're going into chapter two of that book. And chapter two kind of goes along with where we were at before with the continuation of the story of Nephi. And in fact, that's part of the interesting thing about George Cannon's book is that what he seems to be doing is building a narrative history of the Book of Mormon, talking about the world of the Book of Mormon. So what what exactly, how does that come out in literature? What kind of ways does this happen in other books, I guess? It's world building. Um, in other books, uh, you see this similar, similarly in, in a lot of fantasy. Okay. A lot of stuff like Tolkien. Not so much in C.S. Lewis. You could count the horse and his boy somewhat as an example of world building where you, you shift perspective from the main actors, in this case for the Book of Mormon from the Bible, and move forward to someone else. Yeah, so he's setting up the, this story, this world where there's this prophetic heavy environment in Jerusalem. We read some of that in the book of Jeremiah, but there's different aspects that he brings out, of course, in talking about Book of Mormon history. So what were some of the other things that he talks about with respect to Lehi as a prophet, how that all kind of came to be? He's setting up, like we talked about last time, uh, Jerusalem's experience a recent siege. There's all these prophets going about. Lehi is very concerned about what to do and has offered prayer, has received a vision at this point, and, and re- will receive another one. Uh, we know at the end of First Nephi 1 that the Jews in Jerusalem were not happy with him, uh, were trying to persecute him and planning to kill him. And so Lehi, because of that, receives the warning to flee Jerusalem and go into the wilderness. Yeah, so this is this is where they actually leave. This mm-hmm. is He's separated himself. He separated himself from his possessions, too, all his land and his goods. He leaves probably in a reasonable hurry. We don't know many details of that. They left quickly enough that when they would eventually return, that things were still in relative order. But yeah, he takes his wife, his sons. We don't know. We know that Nephi has sisters because he mentions it later on in Second Nephi. We don't know if they were around then or if they just weren't mentioned. Scholars don't really have an opinion one way or the other on that one. This ends up being the first chapter where we have the introduction of the characters of Laman and Lemuel. Mm -hmm. And part of the way that they're introduced is because they are now by the Red Sea after they've left Jerusalem and they've traveled a bit, and they've set up camp, essentially. They've built an altar, done some sacrifice, and Lehi names the particular areas and the landmarks around them. And that's particularly of interest because there's been some scholarship around the, the Valley of Lemuel, well, what, what's some of that scholarship? Indeed. Uh, we did a, a no-why on this as a, on the side, no-why 286. Uh, but in the mid-90s, two Latter-day Saints, George Potter and Craig Thorsted, uh, were in the area, and they were looking for a local site. It was called the Waters of, Mor- uh, Waters of Moses, not the Waters of Mormon. Um, <laughs> they were misdirected by a local guide. They just kind of went north along the uh, Gulf of Aqaba. And it says, Until out of nowhere, the rocky, sandy terrain was broken up by a magnificent narrow canyon which ended in a palm-lined cove. The brilliant blue shades of the clear gulf waters in the sky framed the scene. Um, and they'd found a local wadi. Uh, it was a, a narrow valley 74 miles south of Aqaba and just within three days' journey of Jerusalem for someone in the time of Lehi. So a very, very good candidate for the value of, Valley of Lemuel and the River Laman. And a wadi is what? Just Because that's a, a new term for a lot of people. Arabian version of a, a canyon that could fill fast with water. Okay. Prone to flash flood. Okay. 
And so this was kind of a, an unusual, they weren't looking for it, but what helped them think that, that maybe this could be the site for the Valley of Lemuel? I think location played a huge part of it. This is the distance, right? Yeah, distance and this the rarity of a river in that part of Arabia. Um, a lot of people say, "Well, this is another instance Joseph just guessed, guessed, and threw it out there." Like, no, this is this fits almost perfectly because this was an area that was largely undiscovered, especially, unmapped. Yeah, especially uh, for people in the United States. Uh, the British may have had some better scholarship going on for them with this, but not in Palmyra, New York, circa eighteen twenty nine. Yeah, so. We have this Valley of Lemuel next to a River of Laman, and those two things coming together within their distance really makes the likelihood of this being the location pretty pretty good. And we can talk a little later when we get to other geographical landmarks like Nahum and things like that that help kind of almost triangulate this location as being justified. Well, this is a, as an aside. I mean, at this po- to to the date we wrote the Noah, uh, Noah two eighty six. This was the only known perennially flowing river or stream in all of Northwest Arabia. So it's the only game in town, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's uh, some good introduction to Chapter 2. Next week, we're going to come back for our next episode and move on to Chapter 3, which also has some interesting uh, cultural context that we want to bring out. And uh, so enjoy Chapter 2 of The Life of Nephi, the Son of Lehi. The Life of Nephi, the Son of Lehi, Chapter 2 In the beginning of the first year of Zedekiah's reign, there were many prophets in Jerusalem. The events connected with the recent siege of that city were of such a character as to arouse thought and prompt men who feared God to feel after him. We learn from another source than Nephi's record that there were many false prophets at those times who misled the people who were the means of causing them to harden their hearts against the truth. The prophets of God told the people of Jerusalem they must repent or that great city must be destroyed. These predictions had their proper effect upon Lehi. He undoubtedly believed them, and he went out and called upon the Lord with all his heart in behalf of his people. While praying, there came a pillar of fire and rested upon a rock before him. We are told by Nephi that he saw and heard much which caused him to quake and tremble exceedingly. After this, he returned to his house. And being overcome by the Spirit and the things which he had seen, he was carried away in a vision. He saw the heavens open, and he thought he saw God sitting upon a throne, surrounded by numberless concourses of angels, in the attitude of singing and praising him. He saw one descending out of heaven, whose luster was above that of the sun at noonday. He was followed by twelve others, whose brightness exceeded that of the stars. They all came down and went forth upon the face of the earth. The first, however, came and stood before Lehi, and gave him a book, and told him to read. As he read, he was filled with the Spirit of God, and he read, Woe, woe unto Jerusalem, for I have seen thy abominations. He read many things concerning Jerusalem, that it should be destroyed, and that many of its inhabitants should perish by the sword, and that many should be carried away captive into Babylon. He read and saw many marvelous things which caused him to praise the Lord in the following language, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. Thy throne is high in the heavens, and thy power and goodness and mercy are over all the inhabitants of the earth. And because thou art merciful, thou wilt not suffer those who come unto thee, that they shall perish. The soul of Lehi rejoiced, and his whole heart was filled because of the things which the Lord had shown him. This is the feeling which everyone has to whom the Lord reveals himself, as he did to Lehi.
there is a pure and heavenly joy rest upon him that language cannot describe or express, and in the presence of which the afflictions which he has to endure, because of the persecutions of men, appear trifling and are easily borne. Having had these visions, Lehi could not rest without warning his neighbors and the people of the city. He described to them their wickedness and abominations, and testified that the things which he had seen and heard, and also that which he had read in the book, manifested plainly of the coming of a Messiah, and also the redemption of the world. To tell wicked people of their sins and of the destruction of their government or city makes them angry. It wounds their self-love, it insults their personal and national pride, and it scarcely ever fails to arouse their hatred. There was an exception to this which occurs to us. Upon one occasion the wickedness of the people of Nineveh, the Lord said, had come up to him. He sent the prophet Jonah to warn them, and they believed God. And from the king on his throne to the lowest city, including all their animals, they wore sackcloth and fasted. They turned every one from his evil way and from the violence that was in his hands and cried mightily unto the Lord. Their repentance was pleasing unto the Lord, and he turned from them the judgment he had threatened. Unfortunately for the people of Jerusalem, they did not have that spirit. Their hearts were hard. They would not believe Lehi, but they mocked him and grew angry with him, just as they had with other prophets before him whom they had cast out, stoned and slain, and they tried to kill him. He had remained among them and continued his prophesying. They doubtless would have killed him, but the Lord had chosen him for another work, and he escaped from their plots. The Lord spoke unto him in a dream, and after blessing him for what he had done, and faithfully declaring unto the Jews that which he had commanded him, for doing which they had sought to take his life, he commanded him that he should take his family and depart into the wilderness. Lehi's family consisted at that time of his wife Sariah and four sons, Laman, Lemuel, Sam, and Nephi, that we know of. Nephi, some years after this, in 2 Nephi chapter 6, speaks of his sisters. He does not mention them as members of the family at the time of leaving Jerusalem, and we are left to conjecture whether they were born before leaving Jerusalem or afterwards. Lehi did not hesitate about obeying the commandment. It was probably a matter of life or death with him. He had either to leave or be killed if he continued to prophesy. Hence, it was that among his descendants the expression was used, our father Lehi was driven out of Jerusalem. Nephi himself, in speaking of the people of that city, said they had driven him out of the land. Lehi did not load himself down with his gold and silver and other valuables. These he left with his house and land. He took his family, his provisions and tents, and started. After traveling in the wilderness, he came to the Red Sea, and he continued his journey near its borders. He soon reached a valley by the side and near the mouth of a river, which emptied into the Red Sea. Here he pitched his tent, and the family remained encamped some time. He built at this place an altar of stones and made an offering unto the Lord, and gave him thanks. The river he called Laman, the name of his oldest son. The valley he called Lemuel, the name of his second son. Up to this point, we are told nothing of the character of Lehi's family. But Nephi tells us that after stopping at this river and in this valley and giving them these names, his father took occasion to say to Laman, O that thou mightest be like unto this river, continually running into the fountain of all righteousness. And to say to Lemuel, O that thou mightest be like unto this valley, firm and steadfast and immovable in keeping the commandments of the Lord. Nephi gives the reasons why his father talked in this way to his two oldest sons. They were young men who had no faith in the things which their father had taught.
They had the same spirit of unbelief which the Jews had who sought to kill their father. They called him a visionary man, and they murmured against him because he had taken them away from Jerusalem, from the land of their inheritance, and their gold and silver and other precious things, and led them into the wilderness. They did not believe that Jerusalem could be destroyed as the prophets had predicted. Before we get through with this life of Nephi, we shall have occasion to dwell more at length upon their spirit and conduct. But upon this occasion, Lehi became aroused. He was filled with the Spirit of the Lord to such an extent, and spoke unto them with such power, that their frames shook before him. And they were so confounded, they dare not say anything against him. But they did as he commanded them. Thank you for listening to the Rare Possessions Podcast from the archives of Book of Mormon Central. For the latest information on additions to the Book of Mormon Central archive, or to inquire about archive items like this one, visit us online at archive.bookofmormoncentral.org.